Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father. Singer and TV host Tennessee Ernie Ford is said to have coined the phrase, Know yourself and know your audience. That's good advice, actually. When communicating with others, it's important to know about the things that get in the way. It's important to know about the things that get in the way. So I remember one morning I had been talking to a family and the mother said, I enjoyed your sermon this morning. And I said, oh, thank you very much. And I uh, turned to one of the compromands and I said, "Uh, what did you think? And she said, you said, uh, 57 times. (laughs) You got to know the things that get in the way. It just it just happens. It helps to know your own perspectives, your own blind spots, your understanding of things. To communicate effectively, but then also, of course, it helps to understand others. It helps to understand their perspectives and ensure that they understand your words, examples, and references. And, of course, you want to always beware of the things that get in the way. Paul knew while, in, while he was in Corinth, I mean, even before he was in Corinth, but Paul knew the profound need of the gospel for every single person. And I pray you know that as well. Paul knew the profound need for the gospel for everyone, and Paul would know from firsthand uh, of this because he needed the gospel. He was once outside of God's salvation in Christ. And he embraced that status. He embraced it. He lived it. It was who he was, actually. Yet, despite his own experience as a former blasphemer, an insolent opponent to the gospel, despite his attempts to silence and imprison those who belonged to the way, that's just a a way of saying Christians, and despite him giving approval to Stephen's death, despite his hard heart, The Lord Jesus himself came to Paul and called him to repentance and called him to faith. And then he also called him after speaking to him over the course of, we think, about three years to be an apostle. And if you don't know what that is, an apostle uh, comes from the Greek verb apostello, which means to send With the authority and command of the one doing the sending. So for Paul, that means one sent by Christ with his authority and command to speak the words of Christ. And with this in mind, while in Corinth and wanting and knowing that people needed that gospel, he mentions that there's four distinct groups in Corinth to whom he would minister and it would vary a little bit from from group to group. So there's those from a Jewish background, Gentiles who attended synagogue and who had adopted some of the Jewish practices, the ceremonial law, that of the like. Gentiles unfamiliar with the Torah and unfamiliar with Jewish practice. And finally, the weak. You might say, well, who are the weak? Given the, the, the context of 1 Corinthians, the weak are most likely those who are impressionable, those who might be new to the faith, uh, those who might still cling to old belief, people easily led back into false belief. 
may have continued pagan practices, that kind of thing. But also, uh, status was a big thing in Corinth. And so, the weak also meant those of lowly status, whether that be economic, whether that be social, whether that be professional, those not well-educated, or who weren't influential or affluent. You get the idea. And Paul recognized that people come from different backgrounds. They come from different experiences, different social circles, and the like. So he adjusted his approach, not his message, but his approach accordingly. In preaching to the Jews, he made ample use of the Old Testament, for example. In addressing Hellenistic Gentiles, Paul used and drew on his knowledge of Greco-Roman poetry and philosophy. When it came to Jewish ceremonial law, which had now been fulfilled in Christ, Paul approached Gentiles with appropriate care in each situation, and, and Jews to some extent too, in intending not to squash or quench personal piety, but also not to insist on those things that were no longer necessary because Christ had fulfilled the ceremonial law. And for the weak, Paul used all sorts of language of the foolishness of the gospel, that to the human reason, to the unconverted, it, it seems like folly. It's foolishness. It's weak. The message of cross of the cross is foolishness. It's folly to those who are perishing. But for us who are being saved, it's the power, right, of salvation, the power of God. But the thing is, is that Paul never, Paul never, and if I've lost you, come back. Paul never, ever, 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 how many do I have to do, spoke things that contradicted what he had received from the Lord Jesus. Remember, he's called in his apostle. Paul had been sent by the Lord with the word of the Lord and the Lord's unchangeable, immutable truth. So Paul dare not change the message to make others less angry or less hostile. He didn't view those to whom he spoke as consumers. And so, yes, there was law, there was gospel, there was correction, there was exhortation. There was law and gospel. This wasn't... A have-it-your-way ministry. And so that meant a few things. Paul wasn't going to change the message so that he would be more popular. Paul wasn't going to change the message so that he might make a better living. In fact, it was his intent, and he did, to be financially independent. Sometimes with a lot. Sometimes with just more than enough. Paul didn't view his hearers as an audience either. They were not just hearers. They were not just a project. They were not somebody that he tried to win over for himself. The people were people. And they were people in need of God's grace, his undeserved favor, of his mercy, of his peace, and of his love. They, all of them, were important to God who wanted them to come to saving faith and a knowledge of the truth. 
As I mentioned, God had gone to extraordinary lengths to convert Paul. I don't know about you, but most people don't have a road to Damascus experience. But Paul had been shown some extraordinary deep mercy. And from that, Paul began to love his hearers like Christ loved him because of God's love, right? And so, again, regardless of background, regardless of social status, regardless of job, regardless of nationality, gender, everyone stood on equal footing before God, and it's got two parts. Everybody was a sinner. Everybody is a sinner. And, and those sinners need rescue and salvation. They need forgiveness. They need Jesus. And so that's why Paul writes, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. And this kind of this is where Luther kind of gets his idea of the freedom of a Christian. And he writes that he has become all things to all people to emphasize that point. But I'm afraid that when our sinful nature hears, I have become all things to all people, we are tempted to think, hey, we just roll with what everybody wants or everybody thinks, even if it contradicts Scripture, right? If societal ideas about sexuality change, we'll change too. No big deal. If societal standards about human life change, that so be it, we'll change too. If societal uh, standards change and oppose things that are aligned with God's will and God's word, eh, no big deal, we'll change too. The problem is when we hear things like this, when we hear about Christian freedom or I have become all things to all people, we think, you know, I'm going to turn, our old Adam thinks, I'm going to turn this into an opportunity To follow my fallen desires and longings. That's not what Paul means. Paul wasn't all things to all people, and we aren't either to be liked better, to get more members, right, for, uh, for our own sake, to make a budget, Or even for you to gain God's approval or to have a feather in your cap. You already have God's approval through Christ. It's because there's one need. And that's the word of God for everyone. And that word of God is not received by our works. We don't have confidence in our works. But at the same time. We are not. But Paul talks about this too. Under the law, we're under the law of Christ. So to prevent the idea that we don't need to care about our neighbor, Paul talks about being under the law of Christ. What is that? It means as a Christian, you are free and no works are necessary. But as a servant to all, because of the gospel, right? No works are necessary for your salvation. But as a servant to all, all kinds of works are done. It means, Luther says, becoming Christ to one another. Not that we save one another, but we love one another. That's the law of Christ. Love one another. Right? We love one another. 
when we are Christ to one another, then Christ truly can be seen in our midst in terms of our personal interactions. And we have, because of our actions, Christ is, we're always a Christian, a community. But Luther says we're a Christian community then um, in what we're doing for one another. So the question then is, how do we love our neighbor? How do we do it in a God-approved way? Again, it's not anything goes. Tell me if these sound familiar, okay? And you don't do these to be saved. This is how you love your neighbor. You honor those in authority. You love, cherish, and obey them. You do not hurt or harm your neighbor in his body, but help and support that neighbor in every physical need. Tell me if these sound familiar. They should. We affirm one husband and one wife in a lifelong relationship of love, trust, and servanthood. And that love is, is sacrificial love. It's agape love. And in that union, and in that union alone, God then blesses human sexuality. We affirm that. Otherwise, we're harming our neighbor. We don't steal from our neighbor, but instead help our neighbor keep and even improve the possessions and income that that neighbor has. We speak well of our neighbor by putting the best construction on everything and explaining everything in the kindest way. And then finally, we don't scheme to take things from our neighbor in ways that only appear right, but actually deprives our neighbor of what God has given them. And, of course, we love our neighbor by proclaiming God's love for them in Christ. And we make sure that things don't get in the way. We make sure that our message is clear and that matches, that they could be understood. We make sure that we talk about, not about what we do for God, but what God has done for us. God who has redeemed us from sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. God who creates and sustains and strengthens our faith by his Holy Spirit. And again, God wants this for everyone. So we disqualify no one. We are all things to all people. Because God is for all people. Again, regardless of nationality, background, education, social status, and the like. We are all things to all people, not by promoting a have-it-your-way, man-made religion, but by proclaiming God's word, divine truth, and what God has done for us by Christ's death on a cross and rising from the dead. We are all things for all people because in Christ and Christ alone, not our works, but Christ and Christ alone, we have forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation to be received by faith. We are all things to all people because as we speak God's word faithfully, that word does the converting, the sustaining, the faith-giving, the saving. We are all things to all people by loving our neighbor, by speaking again in God's word in ways that take into account differences, ones like Paul recognized. We become all things to all people by the Holy Spirit. When again, and I mentioned this, maybe snarkily, 
when our ego, when our needs, when our welfare comes second. And that's how Paul did things in Corinth. Neighbor comes first. We're, we're concerned for our neighbor's salvation. Neighbor comes first. But Paul, who called himself the worst of sinners, knew that he didn't always do this perfectly. Neither will you. Neither will I. So we always point everyone to the one who does all things perfectly. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the true servant. Jesus is the one who fulfilled the law on your behalf. Jesus is the true servant who took the full curse of the law upon himself so that you might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the true servant who exhorted his church, go, make disciples of all nations, of all people. Jesus, the true servant, who gives us his word and through that word, his spirit, so that we may take to heart all that he has spoken and all that he has commanded us to observe, because they truly are the things of God. Jesus, the true servant, who through the gospel gives us a heart like Paul. I have become all things to all people. And then Paul writes, why? That by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That I may share with them in its blessings. Amen. May the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.